This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking with Eric McDonald, Principal at Homes, an interdisciplinary engineering firm. As a native of the Pacific Northwest, he has a natural affinity for mass timber projects and thrives on helping realize sustainable structural solutions. And in this episode, we'll be talking with him about mass timber and his time working abroad and how it's helped grow his engineering career. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. And I am your co-host, Rachel Holland. Now let's jump into the conversation of the week with Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Uh, Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and give a background on your career sort of up to date? Well, I grew up up in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest after high school, decided I needed a break from the rain and headed down to California where I went to Cal Poly, actually with Rachel here on the call with us. So I've known her for a long time. I'm so excited to be here. And then from there, I went down to UC San Diego uh, for grad school and then eventually up to San Francisco where I worked for six years prior to moving over to New Zealand after the earthquakes in Christchurch in 2011. And then I came back to Portland in 2013, and then in 2019, helped open an office for home structures in Portland. And then just recently, within the last year, I've become the director of Mass Timber for Homes, kind of overseeing all our uh, Mass Timber projects up and down the West Coast. Thanks for that, Eric. And I understand, you know, from talking to Rachel too uh, before the call, I, I know you did a lot of volunteer work early on in your career. Can you tell us a little more about that and how you found it valuable and how it shaped your career? Back in 2007, a good friend of mine invited me to a meeting um, with Engineers Without Borders. I didn't really know what I was getting into at the time, but I was really just impressed by the organization and the work they were doing. And then we're looking around for opportunities where, you know, a young structural engineer can make an impact. And we found a project in Haiti where they're hoping to build a health clinic. And so got connected with that project and the community there of Bayonet, um, which is kind of near Gonaive, sort of the, the center part of Haiti there. And started working in this valley that had about 80,000 people very little electricity, very little running water, and no health clinic for that whole valley. So definitely saw the need there. And it was a, you know, a long project, a lot of work, worked uh, with a lot of great people there. And then um, 
partway through the design of that health clinic, there's actually the big earthquake in 2010 in Port-au-Prince. And so that kind of put a little hold on everything and also, you know, was able to connect with um, some organizations and do some volunteer work in Port-au-Prince right after the earthquake, basically doing earthquake assessments of schools and health clinics and individual homes in and around Port-au-Prince. So that was really an eye-opening experience for me. And then after that, kind of went back to working again with the this community in Bayonne, actually finished the design and I helped with a lot of the construction efforts of that clinic, which was finished in about 2011, 2012. So, you know, just a really rewarding experience to be able to get out there and help people and, you know, put our schooling to work. One of the other things that, you know, really opened my eyes was the, we uh, don't necessarily have an appreciation for how buildings are built in different parts of the world. Certainly not the construction methods that we learned in school, but I did learn more about, you know, techniques that sort of cost-effective techniques that could still be, have some seismic resilience. And one of those was confined masonry. So I really studied up on that a lot. And that was one of the things that we wanted to implement into this health clinic because we felt it was something that was more repeatable in this sort of environment than trying to build buildings like we would in the U.S. You know, I was very idealistic coming out of university and and wanted to do, you know, I was really thinking that this profession gave us an opportunity to to give back and have a safer built environment. And this was just one of those opportunities that allowed me to do that. And it was, it was very fulfilling. I mean, and then also from a career aspect, it opened you know, more doors. It gave me exposure to more individuals in the industry, broaden the future opportunities. And my encouragement would be to, to do this when you're young, because it's once you have kids, it's a whole lot harder. So you're either going to do it when you're young or when you're old. And uh, I th- highly suggest to get in, involved in something like that as soon as possible. You got to go to Haiti a few times with that organization and work on those projects. And then a little bit later in your career, you actually after the Christchurch earthquake, you took a big jump and went over to New Zealand to work. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience, how you helped to rebuild and just kind of like what you learned from it? I think that was really just an amazing experience to live and work overseas and to experience how people design differently. And And I would say New Zealand's a really special place when it comes to structural engineering. You know, some of our brightest structural engineering minds have, have come out of there and just worked with a lot of great people and, you know, some of the smartest individuals that I've known in the profession. So that was amazing. It was also a real, very big difference in uh, going from a post-earthquake zone in Haiti to a post-earthquake in, in Christchurch. You know, there's the buildings that are, you know, that were built in and around Christchurch are very similar in a lot of ways to the way we would typically build in the West. So there was a lot more, uh, I guess we could direct learnings from the sort of the damage observed there to the type of work that I do now here on the West Coast. I think the other thing, it was just um, very eye-opening to see the impact that a major earthquake can have on a mid-sized city like that. You know, the whole downtown of Christchurch was closed for, you know, almost two years. And it's only one of the few times in my life where that little professional engineer's card was really valuable because to to get into the, uh, to the red zone there, you needed your... Uh, engineering certificate or, you know, be with the military. That was a first and probably the last. Kind of like a VIP card. Do you know who I am? Yes, yeah, something like that. Just watching, you know, a thousand buildings get demolished 
in a city and there's something you know very sad about that and definitely want you to design and, and be able to build better. It also showed me just how resilient people are despite this major disruptive event. Life did go on and they did rebuild. You know, the house that I lived in had duct tape on the walls, the windows were broken, the chimney had fallen off, had an amazing ocean view. You know, and even in our sewer was coming out of the out of the house was a fire hose for a long time. But, you know, again, people are resilient and communities are resilient. And so that was an amazing experience and something to see. I know a lot of structural engineers don't get to actually experience firsthand, I'd say, the importance of their designs. But it seems like you've gotten that where even when with Haiti and uh, New Zealand, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons with concrete shear walls. You said they had, uh, I know they did a lot of research in Christchurch too, or a lot of case studies that they learned a lot of lessons from. But I think seeing it firsthand, oh, this is why we design concrete shear walls this way or structural system this way, because we've seen the lessons that have actually occurred. And I just thought that was interesting since I've never gotten to see it firsthand, but I imagine that would give you a, a greater appreciation for the engineering that we do. I think that's absolutely true. It really kind of brings it to down to earth, you know, the implications of what we're doing on a daily basis and sort of the the impact we could play. Obviously, who knows when that's going to get tested often in our lifetime. So none of these were, you know, actually buildings that I designed, but easily could have designed something similar. And it's definitely a learning experience. Certainly used, put my ATC training to use over that three, four year period. I know you also spent some time in uh, Portland. Uh, you've been involved in the engineering of over 30 mass timber buildings, either built or under construction. As an early adopter of mass timber, how have you seen the industry evolve throughout the years? I know it's getting more and more traction, uh, especially with the codes as well. When I first started designing with mass timber, there's essentially no guidance in the U.S. You know, we were looking to what was getting done up, um, being built up in Canada, maybe a few of those design guides, what was coming out of Europe, and just trying to really soak in as much we can and then try and bring that into a U.S. context, specifically around seismic. You know, a lot of the work in, in Europe wasn't dealing with seismic in the same way that we need to, you know, on the West Coast. That was one thing. It's come a long way. There's a lot more guidance out there. There's um, some of it that I've been lucky enough to be involved with, you know, some things around like uh, CLT diaphragm design, for example, and um, vibration design of mass timber floor systems, and then some research on some new seismic systems. So I guess, again, it's just really going from almost no guidance out there to a lot. There's a lot of education early on that we were involved with, you know, on the owner side, on the jurisdiction side, and on the builders. And I think that people's general familiarity with mass timber is, is grown a lot. And so we don't have to do as much of that education as we used to. Um, still do quite a bit, particularly when we're working in, you know, as we broaden our reach and where we're doing mass timber projects across the U.S. It's such an interesting thing because it, I know you're saying like the it's becoming more popular, so you don't have to do as much research, but it's still exciting because it's a new product and a new look and a new way of building. And it's slowly like trickling down in the United States. So I still think it's pretty exciting. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the research that you did for the NSF. It's the NSF and H-E-R-I. Is that, do you actually say it all out or? 
No, it's the NSF Neary Tallwood Project. The NSF Neary Collaborative uh, Research Project. So you were doing that to develop resilience-based seismic design methodology for tall wood buildings, right? Can you tell us more about that project? One of the earlier projects that I worked on was the Framework Project, which was going to be a 12-story mass timber building in Portland. And it was one of the winners of the original Tallwood Design Building Competition. And as part of that, we proposed a design, a resilient design. And I think this is also coming a lot out of the aspirations of post-earthquake Christchurch and wanting to design more resilient and low-damage buildings. But anyway, the system that we came up with for that building was a post-tension CLT rocking wall system. And we saw it as a system that could meet those goals and be an all-wood solution for this project. And, And that was really the aspiration. Sort of in parallel with that, there's a a couple of researchers, John Vandalent at Colorado State and Jeff Berman at the University of Washington and Shilang Pei out at Colorado School of Mines. And Shilang is the sort of the lead investigator for that project. But they were trying to look at, you know, what would be a resilient mass timber system for tall wood buildings. So because of those parallels, we started working and collaborating a lot and sharing ideas. And then we did a lot of project-specific testing for the framework project, which was permitted. It just, you know, unfortunately not built. But we were sharing information and Shailing Pei um, asked us to, and me and a colleague to get involved, um, Reed Zimmerman, in this research project. And we provided a lot of input, particularly on the two-story test which was really successful test um, a few summers ago, which tested a, a full-scale two-story version of this post-tension rocking wall system. It also tested the CLT diaphragms. And then since then, there's been a lot of other research sort of at more of the component level scale. But you know what's going to be happening in the first quarter of this next year is actually testing a full-scale 10-story version on the shake table down in San Diego. And and that's uh, built out right now, and it's really exciting. I'm going to go down and, and see it in a few weeks myself. There's a lot of different partners that have worked on that project, and there's a lot of anticipation on watching this uh, building go through some simulated earthquakes. Is there any way to see those uh, tests? Is it available on the UCSD website? Well, if you go on the UCSD website, there's a webcam on there, so you can see the construction. And I'm sure there's going to be some live streaming during um, some of the tests as well. So definitely stay tuned and pay attention to that. There is also a, a Neary Tall Wood website where you could go and learn the latest about the project. I imagine there'll be some some links on there and on how to watch the the testing live. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's not every day you get to see a full size or almost full size scale get tested on by earthquakes. So that that should be interesting to watch. Yeah, well, and my understanding is it's going to be the tallest building ever um, tested on a shake table. So not only the tallest wood, but the tallest. Yeah, 10 stories. And uh, UCSD's shake table, I believe, is the second largest or maybe the largest outdoor shake table. So, yeah, it's really something. Yeah, and it's just been upgraded, you know, recently to have uh, more degrees of freedom. So that first test that we did was primarily in, in one direction, and this will be multi-directional test. So it's pretty exciting. I know Simpson's been involved in that also, not me personally, but I get uh, some updates every once in a while. So that's definitely exciting. Looking forward to seeing how that all comes together at the end. 
Yeah, so Simpson has certainly been um, a major partner for the, making that project happen. And I know there's uh, a number of uh, specific connectors and different things that are been developed by Simpson that are going to be in that, that test as well. From an owner's and architect's perspective, why do you think mass timber is gaining more and more popularity in the industry? Personally, I think number one is just the, the look and the feel of the buildings. We're in a, a six-story mass timber building ourselves, the district office building in Portland. I can tell you it's a really enjoyable place to be and work. When you compare that to our office buildings of old with drop ceilings, drop tile ceilings, it's a world of difference. That's one. I mean, there's certainly a sustainability tilt to it too. I think we're starting to recognize more and more the carbon footprint of our new buildings. And I think uh, timber certainly has a, a place there to help reduce the, the global warming potential of our buildings. Another one that, that we're seeing, especially you know with office space right now, is that a lot of developers see it as a market differentiator. There's a lot of vacancy rates out there. And if you're going to build an office building, you need to do something a little bit different, something that's going to draw people in and, and want them to be in that space. I did take a tour on one of uh, the mass timber buildings. I believe it was the, might've been the Microsoft headquarters, I believe. But yeah, taking a tour of that, it does feel different. And I could definitely say like, oh, you know, this is a different type of building when you get to see the, the wood columns and the, the CLT floor slabs. It, it kind of gives it a more organic or wood look, but it's different for sure. So that, I can see the appeal in that. I think one nice comment I've heard is that, you know, no one's ever gone and hugged a concrete column. Our next podcast, you're going to have to take us around your office building, like crib style, like bring us in and show us all around so we can see how like the difference. I was trying to figure out how to do that for this. And, and maybe I could send you some photos or something that you could sprinkle in, but uh I actually really like it uh, a lot, you know, for our typical calls we have, I'll do it in the office space and it, you just have the, the timber background. It, it's pretty nice and effective, especially when you're uh, talking about in the middle of designing another mass timber building. In terms of mass timber and like the questions of like cost, right? And long-term sustainability, how can you make it applicable in different environments? What do you think the future holds for mass timber? It's kind of going back to, you started this very early on, you know, working with Mass Timber, probably 2014. And, you know, there was a lot of excitement, but it was very new. And a lot of people were thinking, oh, is this just going to be a fad and it's going to disappear? And I think the answer that we see is, you know, absolutely not. It's something that I think it's going to be is stick around for a long time to come. Um, there's certainly some major players in the industry that are interested um, in that. So you, Matt, you mentioned the the Microsoft campus, which our San Francisco office was the Mount One and Mountain View was involved in, and then you know obviously the number of projects by Google and a number of the other tech companies worked on a project myself for Adidas here in Portland for their North American headquarters, and so it's just a huge interest and. In, I think it's going to grow rather than anything else. I think obviously there's questions about how much can it grow. And I mean, I certainly don't think we're going to get to a point that every building's built out of mass timber and it's replacing steel and concrete. You know, I think it's just one of the tools and one that I happen to really like that is going to go towards a better built environment. In terms of supply and sustainability and sourcing and all that, there's certainly people that are that know more about this than I do. I would say that wood is pretty special and that it's the only material that we use that could be grown by sun and water. And there's something that's pretty neat about that. 
my last question, just to end off here, uh, do you have any final piece of career advice for structural engineers, whether they're uh, students or maybe they're already in the profession for a couple of years? One thing that I've observed and noticed through my time is it feels like a lot of engineers or most engineers will get, you know, one or two opportunities in their career that they could seize on. My advice would be to look for those opportunities and and to seize on them when you can. You know, for me, it happened to be mass timber. It happened to come around at the right time when I was looking for something new and I had the right skill set to do it. But I easily could have let that pass and regretted it later. So that would be my one piece of advice, you know, from that perspective. The other thing I would say is just find a really good place to work that you enjoy and feel valued. We spend probably more time with our coworkers than just about anybody else. And and it's important to be around people that you like and trust and just enjoy being with. Those are sort of my two things. Great advice. And thanks again for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. And I I certainly do feel fortunate. And it's good to have conversations like this to remind you of, I guess, how fortunate you've been with opportunities in your career. So great talking with you both. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 95, as well as the links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.